Well, good morning. Thank you for allowing us to have that opportunity for you to, to partake in. What an amazing morning. Are you ready to hear the word of God? Yes. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen? amen. What an honor and a privilege for me to be able to share with you God's word. And as what Major has said, God has a sense of humor. He sure has, and it's been an, an, an interesting week, and I know that God has been with me through it all, and for a man that's been laying on, on, on the couch, I was ready to tell him, get up and pick up the couch and walk, but it's been, God's good, God is good. You know, we have been looking through the miracles of Jesus through the Gospel of John. There are other miracles in, through several Gospels, but here we are looking at the miracles in the Gospel of John. And if you have missed the other sermons, we want to encourage you to go into our app. Our app has our, sim, our podcast is there, and so if you missed it, we want, we want to encourage you go, to go to it and listen. Church, as we go through these miracles, we need to keep in mind, okay? We need to keep in mind the purpose of why John tells us these miracles. There's a reason he wrote these things. You see, John's purpose is to exalt the person of Jesus so that we, you and I, will believe in him and be saved. And he tells us in John 20, 31, and here it is. He says, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that, by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And this morning, church, we find ourselves in the miracle that we're in this Sunday, in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you please turn to that that chapter? It's chapter 5. But I'm going to show you a video to tell us and share us and show us chapter John, chapter 5, 1 through 11. Amen. Amen to his word. This account, church of the healing of the pool of Bethesda, represents Jesus' first truly public miracle. Public miracles. Because you see, his previous two miracles were rather private ones. Remember the two that we just learned about? They were private ones. See, the one thing that is exciting about Jesus' miracle is that they were not done in cookie-cutter fashion. They're not, because you see, each miracle is very unique. It speaks to the Lord's authority here on earth. And it really is, listen to this, less about the miracle and more about the miracle worker, which is Jesus And our miracle today that we're going to be going through, it starts off by saying, after this, in verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And when you see that phrase right there, and it starts off with the word after this, church, we need to take time to see what was before it. And what was before this, we heard that Jesus was turning water into wine. And then Jesus went through a town called Samaria, and there he met a woman at the well. 
And after that, he returned back to Galilee in Cana to do the healing of the official son, which Matt spoke about last week. And now, and now, we find Jesus back in Jerusalem for a feast. Now, this scripture doesn't tell us what kind of feast. Could it be the feast of the tabernacle, the feast of Passover? We, it doesn't tell us, but Jesus was there for a feast. So as we go through this miracle, we will discover together. Together we'll discover, and I have put it this way this morning, for us to easily and easily remember what this miracle is about, is using the three P's, the letter P. Okay, so, and they are, and we're going to look at their importance. It's the place, the person, and the physician. The three Ps. So let's start with the place. The place. John 5, verse 2 tells us, Now there is in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So church, here we see Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. He seems to be alone. No, he doesn't, no mention of the disciples with him. And he finds his way to this famous pool, the pool of Bethesda. And you know, when Major and I were in Jerusalem in, in, in October of last year, we were, we were able to visit the Pool of Bethesda. And here's a picture of what the Pool of Bethesda looked like. It is certainly, of course, it's not the way it was then over 2,000 years ago, but it's there. It's there. And I remember just sitting there, and this, this scripture was read to us. Tears just flowing through my eyes, just, just thinking of all the people coming to the pool of Bethesda. Here we have some pictures and also a picture of what it may have looked like then. You see, historically tells us that this place was not a place that the elite, the important people met to eat. The pool of Bethesda was not the place where people gathered for socializing. There was no party in the pool of Bethesda. It was a different kind of party. Uh, parents, you wouldn't want to take your children to go feed the ducks at the pool of Bethesda. And you wouldn't want to take a picnic lunch to go to the pool of Bethesda because it was a place where sheep were, it was a sheep market. So if it's a sheep market, what's in the market? Sheep, right? And so everywhere there were sheep. And this is where the sheep would, would drink from. And this is where the sheep would gather before they are sold. It wasn't a very pleasant place to be. The sheep would be there, and it was a place where outca- the outcasts are in. And so, church, in our story, we see a great crowd of people at this place in the pool of Bethesda. What are they? They're paralyzed, they're lame, they're, they're blind, they're sick, and all they hope of someday becoming well again. This hope was all they had. And, and the pool of Bethesda may have been, and listen to this, may have been a pool fed by a thermal spring. How many of you have ever seen a hot spring where it bubbles up, right? And so this was, was they thought, they are they saying that it is fed by a thermal spring. So occasionally it would bubble up. And so in the days of Jesus, people believed that an angel 
when things are bubbling up, they believe that an angel is stirring up the water. And when, they, they, when they're thinking of this, so whoever the first person that would go into that water that is being moved, they waited because they were going to be healed. Well, church, the pool of Bethesda is a picture of us and our world. Look at our world today. People are hurting. People are broken. People are not just physically crippled, but spiritually, emotionally. People are hopeless. And when you consider the Hebrew meaning of the word Bethesda, it means house of mercy, house of grace. And I think of what the church means to us as followers of Christ and for the world. It is a house of of mercy, a place of mercy, a place of grace. We all can see ourselves in a sense of helpless, weak, crippled, and lame, laying in a pool of Bethesda this morning. We are in Bethesda this morning. Certainly, we have a pool at the Croc Center, but here in this, in this place, in this house, we are in Bethesda. We all need help, don't we? We find ourselves paralyzed at times, unable to do the thing we want or God wants us to do. We find we are lame. We do not walk very well spiritually. We have to come to the right place, and that right place is here this morning. Because this morning, Bethesda is a place where mercy is found. Mercy is found in Jesus this morning, church. And the people there in the pool of Bethesda was waiting for the water to move. And the condition of many of us today is that we are waiting for something. What are you waiting for this morning? If you're in the, looking at the economy, you watch the stock market to see if it's the right time to invest to wait for the right time, to wait for the right situation, to wait for the right circumstance. You see, church, while we wait, life moves on, doesn't it? Opportunities fade. We wait for the right time to share the gospel with, our, with, our, with others. We wait for the right time to repent. Well, church, the right time is now. The right time is now. When Jesus asked us and tells us what we need to do, we need to do it right away. It's all about obedience. And waiting is good, but waiting for, for Jesus when he's telling us to do, we need to do it now. And so the question is, what are you waiting for this morning? And who are you waiting for? And remember, waiting around will not solve the problem. The man had been waiting for what, how long? 38 years. And too many of us are not making any progress in life because we are waiting, waiting, and waiting. And what God wants us that we all need to just move out in faith and trust in the one who has called each and every one of us. And in the house of mercy that day, mercy was given to a man who had been waiting so long to be healed. And mercy is ours today here at the Croc Center, here at the house of mercy of Jesus Christ. Where church, where Jesus is, mercy is found. Where Jesus is, mercy is found. And the miracle, this miracle tells us not only about the house of Bethesda, the house of mercy, but it also tells us about the person. 
Well, you say to someone, I've got to ask you to say, well, tell someone about the place. Can you tell, turn to your neighbor and say the place? Now tell them now it's about the person. Verse 5 tells us, one who was there had been invalid for 38 years. What does this miracle tell us about that person? Well, John tells us of a man who was, who was an invalid. He could have been blind, lame, or just plain sick and unable to get off his mat of affliction. We don't know how old he was. He could have been lying and since he was a very young boy. He could have, he could have been stricken with illness in his 20s or, or maybe even goes beyond maybe t- in his teens. But we don't know if he even spent the day at Bethesda pool all that 30 years. Or maybe someone, a family member, brought him in in the morning and brought him up during the night. All we really know is this. This man had been battling an illness for 38 years. Imagine what that might be like. He has some serious problems, some serious issues for a very long time. And I tell you, for Major being up for only six days, that feels like 38 years. <laughs> six days. I, 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 it's hard. I know it, was, it must have been hard for him to just imagine being on that mat for 38 years, waiting, every day the same, waiting, not much change. Sitting on his mat has become a way of life for this man. His life is stagnant and just waiting for that water to bubble up, watching. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that you thought was hopeless? It may have been a physical, emotional, relational, or a financial problem. What was your reaction? Did you try to to work hard, or did you just simply say, I give up, I give up? We We can be the man in this miracle, and certainly really what? We are. Each of us is this man in this miracle. Have you ever felt crippled? And I, I, and I have, and I am not just talking about f- being physically crippled, but emotionally, spiritually. You feel paralyzed with fear, shame, self-doubt, pride, envy, worry, and insecurity. And all of this can damage the way we walk spiritually. Unfortunately, church, the, crippled, the crippling state that we are in becomes the norm. Preventing us from becoming what God created us to be. And when Jesus saw him laying there and learned about he had been in his condition for a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? What a question is that? Do you want to get well? After hearing what he's been through and Jesus knows, what a strange question. And maybe it was a question that targeted to the very center of the man's heart. Maybe it was a question that was to expose the underlying secret motives that that lay deep within him. And so church, what about you and me this morning? As As Jesus looks at this crippling situation we find ourselves in, Crippled by problems, held back by circumstances, disabled by the attitudes that we have, Handicapped by the behavior, our behaviors. Crippled by the sin. And what does Jesus ask of us? As he has asked the man at the pool, do you want to get well? 
Church, do you really want Jesus to heal parts of your life where you have been damaged? Or is it just plainly easier to hold on to the hurt? Is it easier to to let bitterness fester deep inside? Is it easier to wallow in the hurt and betrayal that you are feeling? And the question is this this morning. The question, when you think about it, isn't really crazy at all. It wasn't then and it isn't now. Because you see, Jesus asked us, do you want to get well? To the one who is crippled by the past hurts, Jesus asked, do you want to be well? To the one who's chained, chained by the secret sin, Jesus says, do you want to be cut loose? To the one battling with addiction, Jesus tells you and asks you, do you want to be free? To the one who is lost, Jesus asks, do you want to be saved? To all of us, his healing touch in every part of our life, Jesus asks us, do you want to get well? What's your answer? We must answer, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I am ready to put the past behind me. But what does the man in this Miracle says, and you notice he's, he's, his answer is not even a yes, it's not even a no. He avoids the whole question. And he says, sir, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. I'm, I, I am trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. The man did not answer. Instead, he had an excuse. An excuse, an excuse. I'm all alone. There's no one to help me. Excuses, excuses, excuses. What about you? What excuses are you using? What excuses do you have? When Jesus asks, do you want to get well, what is your excuse? When Jesus asks you, do you want to be healed from your past hurts, will your excuse be, you don't know how bad so-so hurt me? When Jesus asks, do you want to be cut loose from the chains of your secret sin? And will your excuse be, I just can't control myself? And when Jesus questions and asks you, do you want to, to be set free in your addiction? Will your excuse be, I have an addiction, it's a disease, and it's not my fault? When Jesus asks, do you want to be saved? Will your excuse be, I'm not nearly as bad as the other people I know? Church, we must get rid of excuses. Once we get rid of our excuses, we need to obey Jesus. Because you see, what what Jesus does next seems impossible. But we know that we have a God who does the impossible things, right? Amen? Amen? But see, what he does here is the miracle. Then Jesus said to him to get up, pick up your mat, and walk. No more excuses. He obeyed. Instantly then, the man was healed. Church obedience, is this what we are missing when God speaks to us? When God speaks to you, do you obey him? There's always something God tells us to believe, to do, or to act on. And Jesus is saying, get up. When we need to do what we, he tells us we need to believe, and it is his will that we do. We need to get up and leave no excuses for getting, for getting back. Jesus didn't say, just say get up though. You notice what's the next thing? What does he say? Pick up your mat. Why do you think he said pick up your mat? Because he could have said get up and walk. 
But he says, pick up your mat. Because you see, Jesus didn't want to leave any room for a relapse. Didn't want, a, want to leave any room for a relapse. Because you see, the man could have thought, mm, I'm healed, but I better leave my mat here just in case. Just in case I need to come back tomorrow. Good chance he'd probably do that if he left his mat there. Jesus leaves no opportunity for that for us. In this way, Jesus teaches us that if we want to be whole and restored, that we should not go back to where we have, what we have done. We leave, we, leave a back, we leave the back door open, don't we, to sin in our lives. And God doesn't want us that. If there is an addiction to alcohol or whatever it is, but right now if you, there's an addiction to alcohol, it's time to go home and pour out and take that alcohol and dump it. How about an addiction to drugs? Get rid of the drugs you are addicted to. Peer pressure in all sorts of levels. Say no to the friends you are getting yourself in trouble with. This is not an, uh, an easy one, but it is one that is real. Pornography. Pornography in our world is, is increasingly. But church, we need, it's time to completely delete all those websites. Those materials that is hindering our walk with God. How about anger? Anger. Seek out help because there is help. Cut off any possibility of going back what has sickened you in the first place. And not only did Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and he says, to walk. Church, let us walk in his power. Because see, we need his strength. And don't expect anyone to carry you. Jesus didn't carry him. He walked on his own. But see, he was not on his own. Jesus was there who gives us the power. If he gives us the power to rise, he will give us the power to walk as well. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And at once the man was cured, what did he do? He picked up his mat and he walked. The place, the person, and lastly, we're almost there, the physician. Can you say the physician? Physician. Not position, physician. The physician. And the physician here is no ordinary doctor. Not your doctor that you visit once in a while. And this physician is a great physician. The great physician that tells us in Mark 2, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus, the great physician, came for us, for you and I, for you and me. The great physician is one thing certainly all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows all, and I like what it says in verse 5. Look at, this, look at this verse right here. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time. Look at the word knew. He knew the man. He knew what he was going through. And isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't need to ask about what happened? Okay, when you go to your doctor, your doctor, you come in, the doctor doesn't tell you, I know what's going on with you. The doctor has to do so much tests and questions in order for the doctor to know what's going on with you. But here, our great physician knows already what's going on in our lives. He knows our situations. So how much more about you and me? He knows our pain, our sorrow, our worries, our, our things that are struggles. 
You see, church, I can't think a thought in my mind that God does not know what I'm thinking. He knows the discouragement that I'm feeling, what you're feeling. He knows the help that we need. He knows the, what, may, what we may be facing tomorrow. Jesus knows what we've been up to. He knows what your motives are, and Jesus knows our struggles. The struggles that are real, he knows them. And Jesus looks beyond our, our faults and our failures and cares for us in spite of our imperfections. And this tells us why does he do this? Because he loves us. He wants to know us. He, he knows it and wants to let us know that we need to know he knows us. And he tells us in five, Romans 5, 8, that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. Isn't it a wonderful thought that Jesus knows everything about us? And also he loves us? I like what the psalm says, the Psalm 139. And I don't know about you, when you're feeling, have you ever felt like really depressed and down? And there's that scripture that really encourages you, and this is what it is. One through four, Lord, you have examined me and know all about me. You know when I sit and when I get up. You know my thoughts before I think them. You know where I go and where I lie. You know everything I do. Lord, even before I say a word, you already know it. Isn't that amazing? He is all-knowing. But lastly, he is also gracious. Notice the great grace that he had at the pool of Bethesda. There was a great multitude there that day, and Jesus could have gone to all the person, the people in that pool, but he only went to one. For whatever reason, we don't know, but this is one thing I know. It's all about his grace. His grace and merited favor. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wrench like me. We have done nothing to deserve it, church. His love, nothing. We have done nothing to earn salvation. It is only by grace that we can be saved. It's only in Christ. It's all of Christ, all about God's amazing grace. Think about that for a moment. The miracle. Who did the healing? Jesus. Who had to get up and walk? The man. How is this for us? Who saves us from our sinful sinfulness? Jesus, right? Who must repent and believe? We must. Who sanctifies us and gives us the power to live above sin? Jesus. But who must decide day by day to follow him and do what is right? We must. What Christ did for this man, he did it out of love and grace. He brought the man to what he had longed for, for many, many years. Church, I want you to know, it doesn't matter how long you have been struggling. It doesn't matter how long you've been, you've been down. It, it doesn't matter how long you've been, been unhappy. Because you see, we need to know that God's love is everlasting. And that he loves us so much. And so as we conclude this, this morning... I'd like to kind of turn your attention to, to if you could take out this little piece of burlap that, were, that was given to you as you came in this morning. We are. You've come this morning to a place where it's a house of mercy, isn't it? We all have needs. We all have struggles. We all have things in our lives that's, that's just really been rough lately. I don't know about you, but this mat that you hold in, on your hand 
represents those things, represents the mat that the man has been laying on. And so my question for you this morning, church, is that what mat have you been laying on in your life? It represents differently for each and every one of us. It is a mat that maybe that is, that is holding you back to be what God wants you to be. It could be an attitude. It could be a, an, a something that you do that God is not happy about. It could be worries. It could just be pride. Does it have to be a physical ailment? No, but it is one thing that God is not happy about. Maybe it's been going on for a long time and it's time to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And so as the worship team comes and and lead us in a time of prayer, I want to encourage us because you see, we're in a house of mercy, aren't we? And mercy is here for us. God is seeking you out this morning. And what we're going to do with this mat is this, with a time of reflection, I'm going to ask you to think about the types of mat that you've been laying on. Now, I'm not talking about physically. This mat, this thing in your hand is not something you can lay on. But spiritually, there are some things that you're struggling with. Is it health? Is it your family? Is it your relationship? And it's time to get up, take it, and walk. But certainly, we're not, I'm not letting you walk off with it this morning. Because you see, you're going to have to pick up that mat, which you have. And I want you to pick it up, roll up, or whatever it takes, and remember what that is. And I want you to say, I'm going to pick it up and not leave it there. I'm going to take it and surrender it to the cross. And when I surrender it to the cross, I'm going to say, Lord, take it. Have control of it. Because see, he is the Lord of all, isn't he? Yes. And church... As they sing, respond. We've got crosses on both ends of the stage. Come and lay your mat. And maybe some of you are saying, I can't let go. You know, I do pray someday you will need to let go of whatever that you're dealing with. Because God wants to say, I'm here to help you. I'm here to equip you. I'm here to strengthen you. So church, respond. Respond as, the, as God leads you, as the Spirit leads you this morning. And listen to what the Spirit is saying. Church, coming to the foot of the cross is a commitment you're making this morning. A commitment saying, I am doing this because, Lord, I need your help. I want, if it is a mat about being so negative, Lord, help me. And he's going to help you to stay positive. And so church together, this is just the beginning a beginning of a way how God wants to live our lives. And we're, you're not alone in this. And as you've seen, every, the majority of the place, this place, we're all seeking. And we're also, we're, let's help each other out. Let's encourage and pray for one another because we need it. And certainly God is with us. Who can be a, against us? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. We thank you for the miracle that happened at the pool of Bethesda. And Lord, a lot of times we take the stories and this miracle for granted and not realize that, Lord, you are our great physician who wants to heal us. Healing is not going to happen overnight for some maybe, but Lord, right now, it is just trusting you and allowing you to work in our lives. And we need to know that you know us so well, that you love us, and that we can always count on your grace. That no matter what we've done, no matter what's going on in our lives, we can come to you. 
we can come to, at the feet of the cross and say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender to the Lord of all, who has control of everything. And so this morning, we leave with an, an encouragement and a promise to know that we're not alone, that you're going to equip us. And I pray for, for those, Matt, to stay there and not to follow us. But Father, we are going to need your help because the devil is going to want us to open that back door again and again and again. But with your word and encouragement of others, we can make it through it, Lord. Thank you for this time. Thank you for being our Lord and our Savior. In Jesus' and mighty name, amen. 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 Thank you.